What is good, everybody? Welcome to the SB Nation NFL show. This is episode number 28 of the Off Day Debrief. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation. And with me, as always, Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, BLG? Stats, I'm glad to be here with you on this very busy start of the legal tampering period, but I'm even more excited for the special guest we have today. The Patriots decided to jump into free agency with both feet, and so we thought we needed to get the inside story on what is going on. There is nobody that knows that inside story better than Tom Curran from NBC Sports Boston, and he joins us now. Good morning, Tom. What is up? Stats. Brandon, how are my guys doing? We are well, and I have so many questions for you about the Patriots. After everything the Patriots did yesterday, isn't this the kind of spending spree that they usually laugh at when other teams do it? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are a lot of things about this that are uncharacteristic and just then goes to the question, well, why would they do uncharacteristic things? Well, they're in an uncharacteristic position. Coming off a 7-9 and nine season, uncertainty at quarterback, looking up at the rest of the division, no real plan taking shape, and they have a 69, soon-to-be-year-old head coach. So you're not going to sit there and plan for a five- or six-year rebuild with a bunch of mid-tier free agents. you got to both feed it, as you said. So, Tom, I mean, the Patriots, you know, make all these headlines with these signings and everything, but I uh, are, you know, the, the most recent ones at the start of the legal tampering window here, but my, I'm still stuck on Cam Newton at quarterback because, I know. you know, this is a player, obviously, who had more interceptions than touchdown passes last year. And you, you just brought up, you know, a 69-year-old head coach. Like, how is Cam the answer here still? Well, I'm not positive, Brandon, that he is the final answer. <laughs> I think that there is certainly when you look at the salary, $5 million, and it goes up to 14 if he hits all the incentives, that kind of announces that, look, we might be able to make another move. You're not even being paid backup money from the 2020 season if you use Marcus Mariota as a comp. But I do think as well that the chance remains that he could be the starter. And the reason for that, and the reason you saw a lot of what you did yesterday was, the Patriots do have an understanding of how bad their roster was last year. And in making those moves, it announces that. And it also doesn't absolve Cam, but it is their acknowledgement that says, we were really bad last year. And you didn't have a lot of help. And I know that you threw eight touchdowns and 10 picks or whatever it was, but you also ran for 12 touchdowns. And you picked up 55 first downs. You ran it 137 times. You were a major factor for us, and we went seven and nine. So we'll give you some tools. We'll give you a full off season, and you can't be worse throwing the ball, can you? So if we have to, we'll let you do it again. About those tools that they have given him, I see Jonu Smith. I see Kendrick Bourne. I see Nelson Aguilar. Like, those are good pieces for sure, but they don't have anybody special special on offense do you think they might go out and add somebody else either through the draft or another free agent signing yeah maybe through the draft but I think that we get caught up like for instance you look at Kenny Galladay he is the reigning you know consensus best free agent wide receiver he's not an 80 catch guy or a 90 catch guy who's going to get 1300 or 1400 yards he's he's fine but he's going to pull down $20 million. I mean, that's basically, he's going to be an $80 million contract guy. Maybe he's not getting it. And that's why he's still out there. Same thing with Curtis Samuel. He's going to be an $11 million a year guy. Um, now Nelson Aguilar is 13, which is insane. Two years and $26 million for Nelson Aguilar. 
But I guess the point is, I don't see anybody really special out there among those wideouts. I mean, Robinson would have been perhaps at that next level above a Kenny Galladay. But, you know, I think the Patriots have such faith in their scheme and their ability to, to, to put guys in a position to succeed and work in a complementary way that they feel guys will perform better for them in their schemes. So how does free agency impact the draft for the Patriots? Like, are they more likely, less likely to trade up for a quarterback? Is there another uh, direction that you think they're really going to go or just it's, you don't even know. I don't really, I don't know. I mean, if, if Trey Lance is sitting there at 11, do they start to get sweaty palms and say, we got to go get him? Or do they say, you know what? Smith and Waddle and Jamar Chase and everybody else at the wide receiver position and Kyle Pitts, there's four guys. And then you have the five quarterbacks who've gone. That's 13 players. There's going to be some corners. There's going to be some linebackers. There's going to be some edge guys that in this run of offensive skill position players, the Patriots might be able to say Micah Parsons is probably 50% better than Mac Jones. And everyone's going crazy trying to get up and get this guy and force it because he's a quarterback. So I really, I don't know what they'll do, but I think that they're in a prime position to profit with the non-quarterback decision. So from all these free agent signings that were made, uh, I'm looking for some superlatives here. Which one was the best, do you think, and then for the Patriots, and then which deal do you think is the worst uh, one they signed? Jodu Smith is the best because, you know, they have turned their back on the tight end position like a spurned child. They have finally re-embraced it, and in doing so, they get a player who I think is probably – don't you guys think he's just as good as Hunter Henry when you really look at it? I mean, <laughs> statistically, Hunter Henry has had the numbers, but Jonu Smith is a productive guy. He's faster and better after the catch than Henry. Um, he can block well. So he is going to be a cog in the Patriots' offense that was absolutely absent since Rob Gronkowski left. So – and that is – so two years of, of no tight end. I mean, think of two years of no tight end. So he had, ends up being that fill to that void. But I think Aguilar might be the worst just in, if I'm Julian Edelman, when I see those contract terms pass across the crawl on ESPN, I want to throw up. I mean, Edelman, I think basically four-year, $16 million a year contract guy. Most I'd have to double check that. But for Aguilar to be getting $13 million a year from the Patriots, for what will probably about, be about between 45 and 55 catches tops for about 700 yards, maybe 650 and five touchdowns. I mean, that's bananas. I think Johnu's the best signing, just so we could hear all the Patriots fans say, throw it to Johnu. Johnu. Yeah, Johnu. You got Johnu Smith. Yeah, Johnu. Yeah, I just did that in my normal. <laughs> The last thing for me, and I just want you to, I want you to weigh in on this because I've seen this on Twitter. I think it's crazy, but people are saying it. So you will know better than me. The fact that Tom Brady won a Super Bowl has nothing to do with all these signings that the Patriots have made, right? Like that is not a factor in Belichick's mind. Cause that's what people keep saying. Oh, Brady won. So now Belichick has to go and prove he can win without him. Yeah. I, as Someone mentioned that to me, and I, I did a quote tweet because I wanted to get that opinion out there. So I, I tweeted about this yesterday saying that what happened from September to January had a hell of a lot more impact on the Patriots than what happened in the first week of February. 
they were going to go and attack their weak spots that were legion one way or the other. And the $60 million in cap space they had to apply to that because they went seven and nine created what you saw yesterday. You know, if they went seven and nine and the team looked different, or if the team went 11 and five, I don't think Bill would have been going bananas on the first day of the legal tampering period. I think that's also one really interesting thing too, to bear in mind guys is when the deflate gate stuff was going on, Bill's Mona Lisa veto press conference. <laughs> he was asked about Spygate and why we should believe him in Deflategate when Spygate was in his rearview mirror. And Bill said, you know what? We don't do anything. We don't even push the envelope. We don't even get near the envelope. We don't get close to anything that's rule-breaking. And when you look at the Patriots' whether it be tampering or free agent signings or OTAs, any of that, they never flout the rules. Well, yesterday, mm. legal tampering opens. And you're not supposed to announce deals, really. I mean, you're not. Everyone does and everyone has. But the Patriots have kind of honored that, look, we're not going to be announcing deals. We're not supposed to, so we're not going to do that. Yesterday, they announced every single thing. Drew Rosenhaus had all those deals. Every single one was sent out. All those agreements were reached. Obviously, the Patriots had deals struck in advance, and that's fine. Everyone does it. But the Patriots don't normally flout the rules. So why did they do that? Because they're sick of listening to the crap about how badly they've mismanaged things and how they've been left in the dust by so many teams in their division and by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I just thought that was interesting when you look at it and think about what would motivate the Patriots to not do it the way they've always done it in terms of announcing their deals? And I think that is the PR aspect. Okay, last question for me, and I just have to ask this. This is totally selfish. This is not in service to anyone else other than myself. Hmm. Can you please tell the Patriots to take Jimmy Garoppolo off of our hands? Please, you can have him, Tom. I've done everything I can. <laughs> I've done everything I can. I mean, I've written about the poetic justice that would, you know, exist if you had Belichick, the king in his old age, bringing back his spurned prince to take on the exiled prince who went there to Tampa go. Bay. I mean, all that crap. I did everything I could. <laughs> but unless Jimmy's going to agree to take a pay cut and Don Yee is going to convince him to do that, to come back here, I can't imagine the Patriots are going to do that. He Sorry, might, buddy. He might. I mean, uh I don't know. I'm trying to will it into happening. Yes. I can't watch that movie again, Tom. I just, every time the guy plays, he gets hurt. I know. I mean, I, I did a story. He's, he's collected $84 million in three years on the cap and he's played in 23 games. I mean, that's more than $3 million per game in cap space that he's taken up. So you're basically uh, paying him $48 million a year prorated in cap space. It's friggin' nuts. And they, and they have their chance. They have their chance right now to use the trap door and get out of it. And I don't think they're going to do it. Nope. They're going to run Unless it back. You get Sam, Sam Darnold. Oh God. No. If you can get Sam Darnold, you're in a good spot. No, Sam Darnold stink. Come on, Tom. He's a trash bag. No, he's not. I mean, even if he's 20% better than he was with the jets, like how good is that? Really? He's a good player. Mark my words. Uh, okay. He's got pro bowl seasons ahead of him. <laughs> 
he's got the same wow. problems as Jimmy injuries and turnovers. He's never played a full season. And he, he had mono. Yeah. <laughs> it's not injury prone. He's never played a full year. He didn't have mono every year of his career. He's only been in the league for three years. One of them was wiped out by mono. Hey, I mean, look, if the, if you think he's good, you can have him. but I, I, I don't know, man. I, that's no. dicey. All right. Go back to Nick Mullins and have fun. Oh God, no, please. That's how miserable it's been. Tom Curran, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. The Patriots are ruling free agency, a sentence I never thought would come out of my mouth. You can follow Tom Curran at Tom E. Curran on Twitter, and you can just enjoy the greatness that is Tom. Thank you very much, sir. All right, guys. Good, good talking to you. Take care. Thanks again to Tom Curran for the time. So that is the latest on the Patriots. A lot of people were throwing bouquets at New England BLG. So we're going to do the same right now. We're going to go through some winners and some losers of the first day of free agency. We'll start with the winners. Then we'll take a break. We'll get to the uh, not so nice things that we'll say about the other teams. I've got a couple different winners, but who is at the top of your list after day one? So it's really on brand for me here on the uh, the the BLG and the other guy show, as we call it, as it's known. Oh. Um, shout out Ross Tucker. And I'm going to go with my <laughs> own brand here and say former Eagles stats. The former Eagles won free agency. I mean, Nelson Aguilar, Jalen Mills, both joining the Patriots. Ronald Darby joining the Broncos. Rudy Ford, somehow. like People shouldn't even know who Rudy Ford is. <laughs> and he's signing a day one deal free agency, like a special teams guy, who, by the way, has missed 24 games in his first four years. Insane. Kamu Grujay Hill and Terrence Brooks, all former Eagles, getting paid on the first day of free agency. And another good thing for the players who most recently left the Eagles, uh, that's also a win for them as well. I actually tweeted you yesterday and I was like, why is it that all these Eagles are getting signed when all I heard from Eagles fans all year was that the roster stinks? It is really surprising. Uh, the Jalen Mills one, especially just because I didn't think any of the Eagles free agents were really worth like going after hard. And obviously, you know, like Aguilar was with the Raiders last year and Darby was in Washington. You know, so those guys were removed a little bit from the Eagles stench, if you will, uh, especially at least last <laughs> season. But it is pretty, it's kind of wild. It's like it's just it's really strange that like the league likes these players a lot more than Philadelphia did. And if they're successful elsewhere, I mean, what does that say about the Eagles? Well, I think a lot of people want to jump to like, oh, it's it's only coaching to blame. The talent's fine. And actually, Harry Roseman is good. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, we can get into the case-by-case <laughs> the -case situation with some of these guys. But you look at a guy like Ronald Darby. He was just finally healthy last year in Washington, which like made a big difference for him and allowed him to get a payday from the Broncos. Uh, I think Mills wasn't bad last year. A lot of Eagles fans are saying like, oh, Jalen Mills, you know, Bill Belichick is going to turn him into the next Patrick Chung, who, you know, Pat Chung had success in New England before coming to the Eagles for like one year. He was terrible, but he was also hurt that year, which factored in. And then he went back to New England naturally and uh, had a lot of success again. So, so maybe it will follow that path. Uh, it's, it's only fitting. I think some of these some of these guys are just benefiting from a change of scenery. Um, and I think a guy like Aguilar, again, it kind of goes case by case here. But if we're looking at Aguilar, like he had a career year last year. Um, is he going to keep that up going forward? We'll uh, talk about that a little bit more in the loser section. Oh, a little tease there. I like it. Um, my first winner, and it's kind of obvious, I think, but the Washington football team. Wow. With signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. One year, $10 million deal. 
I love it for them. Like to me, honestly, they just put themselves right in the running for a wild card spot in the NFC. Their defense is stout. They have some good pieces on offense. Fitzpatrick has proven that he can, for short periods of time, have some good seasons like we saw with the Jets a few years ago. And Ron Rivera, like, imagine him coming in, dealing with cancer last year, dealing with a pandemic, and yet they get to the playoffs. Now, I know they were 7-9, and but they still got to the playoffs. They bring in Fitzpatrick this year. They can get back to the playoffs in an NFC that I think is not exactly stacked. I I thought it was a smart move from the Washington football team, and that is not a sentence I ever thought I would say out loud. Certainly not. I put... I was temp- I was tempted to put uh, Washington in my winner stats, but I put them in I don't knows, and I, I made up a third category between winners and losers. Um, we actually do that for Bleeding Green Nation after the games, winners, losers, and I don't knows. Shout out to Benjamin Solak. Uh, look, Fitzpatrick last year, pretty solid. I mean, passer rating, he was nineteenth. He was nineteenth in PFF grade, DVOA by Football Outsiders, he was sixteenth. He was sixth overall in QBR. So, you know, pretty solid season. Only got benched, really, because they want, uh, the Dolphins wanted to see Tua. It wasn't like Fitzpatrick was so terrible that they had to bench him. And you look at what Washington had at quarterback last year, and it was bad. It was Dwayne Haskins, who's a clear bust, who got cut. Kyle Allen, who is really, ideally, just more of a backup at best. Alex Smith could barely move. The corpse of Alex Smith out there. <laughs> And then Taylor Haneke starting a playoff game for you, a former XFL backup quarterback, as I like to bring up often. So I certainly think Fitzpatrick is an upgrade on that. And you pair him with that defense. And that's why I would lean towards the win. But if I'm looking at this long term, I mean, Washington still needs an answer there. And I think the danger with Fitzpatrick is he's going to keep him out of position, you know, to get a top pick in the draft. And I just don't know, like they're kicking the can down the road with Fitzpatrick and Washington might eventually be able to figure that out and maybe they will but uh for now they still don't have that long-term guy and I'm, i me coming from an eagles perspective i'd much rather washington sign fitzpatrick than say trade for deshaun watson well yeah i mean obviously that that's not a contest but i just you know while they figure it out i kind of like what they're doing you know ron rivera is going to potentially go to two straight playoffs years they went three and 13 before he got there like He's just a good coach. He's just an adult, a grown-up in the room, which is something they desperately needed in Washington. Fitzpatrick is also that, even though he loves to have fun, by the way. He's not going to be the team, the guy that you know leaves the field early and misses the kneel downs like uh, Dwayne Haskins did. You know, it's it just I, I kind of like the maturity from the Washington football team for a change, for an organization that generally has been the complete opposite of that. Rank the NFC East starting quarterbacks for me stats, assuming Fitzpatrick starts in Washington. Oh, Dak is the clear number one for sure. Uh, and then I would probably put Fitzpatrick two. I would put, oh man, I guess Daniel Jones three. And then I'll put Jalen Hurts four, which I assume is exactly what you wanted me to do when you asked me that question. I think that's right. I would flip Hertz and Jones just because I don't love Jones and uh, I'll homer it up a little bit and put Hertz there, even though it's probably not deserved yet. But it's, <laughs> we're, we're going projection too. And I believe in Hertz a little bit. So, but yeah, but the, the point of me bringing that up was I think, you know, Washington now has the second best quarterback in the division. I think they do. And I, it's pretty clear too. Like it's, it's not even that much of an argument. Uh, so who else do you have in the winner's category? Uh, next up for me, and it 
might not jump out to you, but I think the Super Bowl champs have done a fantastic job so far, and they haven't necessarily brought in anybody, but they're keeping the band together. You know, they're bringing back Chris Godwin. They're bringing back Gronk, Shaq Barrett back, Levante David back. Look, they have a good team, obviously, and they think they're going to be better. They think with another year together, you know, Brady's not learning the system. Everybody's sort of used to everybody. They think they can run it back for another run at this thing in a division, by the way, as I'll get to a little later, that's pretty bad. Like, say one thing about Tom Brady. He has been in some fantastic divisional situations in his career, and they're taking advantage of it again. I think they win that division easily next year. Uh, Monday Football Monday uh, touched on this a little bit where, you know, they win the Super Bowl. uh, It's easier to maintain that as opposed to, you know, if they make it there, they lose like a lot of those guys probably just leave like they test the market instead of trying to run it back and and repeat. So uh, I definitely agree that like so there's a benefit to winning the Super Bowl besides being the champions. Like you can extend (laughs) your run that you have potentially here. And I do agree that the Bucs are doing a good job with that. Who was next on your winner's list? I have the Jets stats, the J-E-T-S. Really? Yes. I mean, they got Corey Davis for less annually than Nelson Aguilar. I think Carl Lawson, I brought him up on last week's oddcast uh, when we were talking about pass rushers. I think he's an underrated player. I uh, got a nice deal there. Um, uh, I, I like what the Jets are building. I do. They, you know, they tagged May, Marcus May, so they're keeping him around. Uh, I think Joe Douglas is doing a good job building up the Jets. Now, obviously, he has to get the quarterback decision right, big, you know, and and figure out what they're going to do at the top of the draft here. I still would love to see them trade for Deshaun Watson. I think that's the move they need to make, and that would be exciting. But I like the Jets. I like what the Jets have done so far. I don't love it. I'm not going to lie. Carl Lawson, I agree. I like that move. I think that's a great signing for them. I think he's going to be a really solid player. Plus, I think Robert Sala is going to put him in a position to really flourish, which is kind of what he does. It's what he did with the Niners. I don't love the Corey Davis signing. I don't think Corey Davis is any good. To me, like, what's the difference between Corey Davis and Stephen Hill? Remember when they drafted Stephen Hill? Big dude, really fast dude out of Georgia Tech. I feel like the Jets always get these guys that could be good, they have a particular thing that they're known for, and which is the speed for Corey Davis. And I, I just, I don't know. I just don't see that being a great signing for them. I think that they're paying him a ton of money. And I don't know that he's going to really produce more than anything that they have there. I don't love the moves for the Jets. But if they get Wilson, like you said, that could all be moot because he could just be awesome. Yeah, Davis yeah, turned 26 in January, so still pretty young, you know, for a free agent signing yep. too after his rookie contract. Um, coming off a season where he was uh, just shy of 1,000 yards, he had 984, he had five touchdowns. So I think ascending player here, just based on statistical production, like he's gotten better. And, uh, you know, I think it's taken him a little bit more time. And I think there was a negative perception of Corey Davis because of that. It was a slow start. People thought he was going to, you know, be this great player from the jump. But I think the the Jets are making a reasonable investment. And, uh, you know, look, uh, I like it. You know, you may be right about that with Corey Davis. My opinion may be a little biased because he was a slow starter. Uh, I think if he's your number one, I think you got some work to do. If he's your number two, like if the Jets were to bring in like Curtis Samuel and then Corey Davis goes to your number two, I would like that a lot more. Uh, I think Corey, uh, Curtis Samuel would be an awesome addition for the Jets, by the way, or really anybody. But if they did that and then he could, you know, didn't have to match up necessarily with the other team's best corner all the time, I could totally be on board for that. 
I mean, just look at what the Jets had to deal with offensively last year at receivers. Like they oh, had geez. like nothing out there. Like Braxton Berrios was out there. Like it was just like nothing to work <laughs> with. Uh, you know, Perriman was in and out of the lineup injuries. Um, Mims kind of came on a little bit. I think Mims, Davis, uh, you have Jameson Crowder there in the slot. Uh, again, kind of comes down to the quarterback and <laughs> what they do there. Pretty big decision. But uh, I think they're they're building the right way. They're they're on their way up. That's fair. That's a fair point by you, I I guess maybe they'll surprise me, but I do like Joe Douglas. I do think that Joe Douglas knows what he's doing. I think he knows how to build a football team. I love the Jamal Adams trade. Like for the first time in a long time, I feel like the Jets have actual leadership uh, with Sala and Joe Douglas there. And I hope they do well. I, I think the league is more fun when the Jets are good. When those sort of like little brother teams are good. I always like that in the NFL. Uh, you, you brought up Jamal Adams' stats. I'm going to go with another safety here for a basis of a winner pick, and that's the Cleveland Browns, who signed John Johnson from the Rams. I think John Johnson is one of the best safeties in the NFL. I think he was PFF's third best safety last year. He's always graded out like very highly, basically since he's entered the league. Um, I think that was a smart signing. It seems like he's one of the guys that uh, the league or like people around the league might value him more than public perception. Maybe it's because of the name because it's a, it's a very generic name, John Johnson. But uh, <laughs> I think that was a smart signing. I think, you know, he's, he's a really, uh, he's, I think he's only 25 or so. Like this is a young player. Uh, Browns get better in the secondary there. I like that move a lot. The Browns really needed help in the secondary too. I agree. It's a good move. I think Andrew Barry is like low key, a really good GM. And I I think it's going to take people a little while to catch on. Nobody really knew who he was. Let's just face it. We're not used to the Cleveland Browns having good general managers. I think that that's a solid move. I like what the Browns are building. I think the NFC North is going to be an absolute dogfight this year. I mean, with the Steelers, the Ravens, even Cincinnati, I think, is going to be better if they can get a full season out of Joe Burrow and actually protect him a little bit. That division, you're going to have to earn it big time. And I like what the Browns are doing because they're gearing up for that. So I put former Eagles players, you know, in my winner's column. But we can also really put former Eagles executives here, too, because he just praised Joe Douglas, who is the Eagles vice president of player personnel. And then Andrew Barry, who spent, I think, less than a full year, calendar year uh, in the Eagles front office. But he was there before he got hired by the uh, the Browns uh, again. So maybe it would be nice if the Eagles had those guys back and not <laughs> Harry Roseman anymore. <laughs> It all goes back to the Eagles for you. All right. You've got one more winner on your list. Let's do that before we go to break. All right, Stats. The Los Angeles Chargers. Ooh. Do you know why? Uh, I don't know why. I mean, I'm assuming you like the Corey Lindsley signing? Of course. But they, yes. I mean, so you're, you're talking about they added PFFs top center last year it's a big deal uh helping protect justin herbert but it wasn't just him stats they also signed matt filer from the steelers who has tackle and guard experience and actually allowed the fewest pressures by all guards last season so i think kind of underrated here i think tom telesco as i've said before is an underrated gm he's getting some nice pieces in the trenches to help protect justin herbert love to see that they also re-signed michael davis too starting quarterback so i think that was a good move uh he was on some free agent list that i saw i liked him as a potential eagles target if they could you know afford him a reasonable starting quarterback so i like what the chargers have done and i think there's every reason to believe that justin herbert can you know even take a step next or step forward in year two especially when you're beefing up his line 
Right. And that's exactly what they're setting him up to do. Like, that's what you do when you have a young quarterback on a rookie contract. You build it up around him. And it's not like the roster was barren. This is not like, uh, you know, usually when you get a really good quarterback, you're picking at the top of the draft. So your team stinks. That is not the case with the Chargers. They have a really good roster. They have a bunch of good players. And I think they're using free agency the way that you really need to use free agency if you're going to be good. You can't build your team through it. It's too expensive. And the guys, frankly, just aren't good enough most of the time. Those The really good players usually don't hit free agency. Instead, the Chargers are using it for the cherry on the Sunday, which I like. You add a piece here, you fill a need here. They're patching up the offensive line. And I think that is the right way to go about it, which obviously you're going to need to do when you're playing Patrick Mahomes twice a year. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break. We've got some losers. It's always fun to be negative sometimes. And there are some things that happen that we didn't like, or maybe some things that didn't happen that we didn't like. And we'll cover it all after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Off-Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. All right, BLG, we have done the winners of day one of free agency. Now let's take a turn to negative town. Let's look at some losers. You've got a couple things on your list. I've got a couple things on mine. Where are you going first? Well, we had our a great special guest earlier on this podcast, Stats, but uh, I feel like the Patriots are one of the biggest losers here. Oh, you didn't mention that when Tom was on. Yeah, I didn't say it to his face. I'm a total coward. Um <laughs> Now, I, I, look, you know, they, they made some moves where I, I kind of like the player, uh, but I don't love the value, and that's a big deal. And I think at the, the overall philosophy, too, I do think what Tom said about the Patriots, like, making this big push on day one of legal tampering was about saying, like, hey, spotlight, spotlight is back on us now. You know, no, no, no. no. Hold hold on there, Dolphins and Bills rising up or the Jets potential, whatever. Hold on, Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl. No, it's back on us now. We're the Patriots. Uh, we're changing it up. We're getting more aggressive. And I don't think that's a good strategy for them because I don't think that's really going to solve a lot. And, you know, looking at some of these contracts they handed out here, um, I was looking at uh, Matthew Judon specifically. Now, he's like top 25-ish in pass rush productivity each year. So I like that. But I also saw... One of the most penalized defensive ends or edge rushers in the NFL. He's the fifth most penalized last year in 2020, 16th most in 2018, 14th most in 2017, um, had a better year in 2019. So uh, a guy who's a little bit more reckless or maybe trying to, you know, jump early uh, because he kind of maybe he lacks the, the elite explosion that you really want of a pass rusher. 
the Aguilar contract, which I referenced earlier, and why I'd put it, be putting that, uh, the Patriots, or at least him, in the losers. Look, Nelson had a great year last year. I think he benefited from a change of scenery. I think he benefited from a smaller role in the offense, not having to be basically the number one wide receiver, which he kind of had to be uh, for the Eagles and with injuries in certain situations. But I just don't love betting on that. Like, this is his career year. I don't think it's going to get better for him. I don't think he's going to maintain that. This is a guy who still had the second worst drop rate in the NFL last year. What do people remember Nelson Aguilar for? Uh, not just in Philly, but outside of the two, the memes and everything, unlike Aguilar. Uh, so <laughs> I, I just don't love this spending spree by the Patriots. There is an argument to be made that the Patriots are undergoing a little bit of a philosophy shift because I felt like for a long time they were like, Tywin Lannister, right? A lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. Well, to me, what we're seeing here is the Patriots are concerned with the opinions of the sheep. For years, they were the team that people took less to come and play for because of Belichick and Brady and your chance to win a Super Bowl. Well, now Brady is gone, and I think the Patriots have morphed into the team that has to overpay some of these guys to get people to go play with because you have to deal with Belichick and Brady is gone. And so that's how you end up with the Nelson Aguilar contract. That's how you end up with Kendrick Bourne getting three years and $22.5 million. Kendrick Bourne, fine player, but not really anything to write home about. But I think that that's what the Patriots had to do in order to get these deals done and get them done as early as they did, BLG. They shelled out the money. It's a definite philosophical shift for New England. So even though they, they made some nice deals, I understand you putting them on your losers. Kendrick Bourne, who, by the way, you had in your drafts with RJ. Oh, I let him know about that. Don't worry. He's going to have a nice year. He'll have a solid year. He'll have a year with like 40 catches, you know, 500, 600 yards. He'll get some touchdowns because he's pretty good in the red zone. He's also going to get crucified, BLG, because he does drop some passes from time to time, and he does dance a lot. So brace yourself for the... Maybe if Kendrick Bourne spent a little more time on the jugs machine and a little less time dancing, he would have caught that ball article because those are coming from the Boston media. I think as maybe as hot takey as it sounds, stats, the onus is on Bill Belichick at this point to prove that he can win. Not to say he's a, he's a fraud of a coach. I didn't say that. Maybe someone said that, <laughs> but I didn't say that. Uh, the onus is on him to win without Brady. Like, was Brady the culture there? Was Brady the reason? And so far, you know, Brady obviously has the leg up in that argument. Um, so I think this is definitely. Yeah. What's that? That's frustrating to me, though. Brady got to choose his team and go anywhere he wanted. Belichick got COVID and more opt outs than anybody else in the league. Like, if you let Belichick pick the team he was going to coach, he might have won a Super Bowl last year, too. One season does not a legacy make, but. Uh, you know, look, they have to figure it out. And I think what they're doing at quarterback, which is probably the biggest reason why I put the Patriots in the losers category here. And we talked about it with Tom, like, I'm just not sold on Cam. Why Why would I be? Like, people talk about how, and I think Pete mentioned this on Monday Football Monday, like, you know, how COVID could have impacted him. And obviously, that's a variable I don't 
even know how to measure. I can't account for that. But still, like, even if we're assuming like that was a major impact, like it's it's still bad when you're having. And I know the rushing touchdowns are in there, but when you're you're not going to win, what are you winning significantly in the NFL if you have a quarterback who isn't throwing more touchdown passes than interceptions? And I just I think we have to see a lot more out of Cam. And maybe the Patriots do something more at quarterback. Maybe they find a way to get Mac Jones or or whatever they they or Trey Lance and they groom him and he's going to be a freaking superstar in the future. I would not say it's impossible, but until we see that, uh, I think the jury is out on the Patriots. Right. Obviously, th- these are all unfinished teams. We've only had, you know, a day of free agency. So, you know, keep that in mind when you hear these lists. But you're right. It it could be dicey with Cam. Like they're counting, obviously, on a big jump from him. And it just may never come in 2021. All right. First team on my loser list. And I know we share this. And I know you know where I'm going, BLG. It's the Saints. It's the Saints by a mile. Like, listen, when you transition from a Hall of Fame quarterback, it's one of the hardest transitions your team has to make. Almost no team has gotten it right. Very few. I can think of the Packers, obviously, with Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I think of the Colts with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. But it's not an easy thing to do. Look how the Broncos fell off a cliff after Peyton Manning left. Like, teams struggle with it. And I don't just don't know how the Saints could look at this, knowing that Drew Brees was going to be walking away soon and think, you know what we need to do? You know what will be good? 2021, let's have a quarterback competition between the guy that threw 30 picks the last time he was a starter and Taysom freaking Hill. Like, that's what you think your team is going to be good with? As a guy that roots for a team in the NFC, I love this because you can take the Saints off the board. They're not winning a damn thing in 2021. And rework Taysom Hill's contract to where it becomes like lucrative, even if he is like a lot, like very lucrative, ridiculously so. If he is good, uh, I just don't get it. Yeah, like this is this is the best thing you could do at quarterback if you're the Saints. Like just run it back with the guys who clearly weren't. I mean, you didn't even trust Winston to play last year, really. <laughs> you know, like when Breeze got hurt, you went to Taysom Hill, and that clearly wasn't like a real thing. I mean, you gave him the audition, you, you saw what he could do. And sure, what, they went like 4-1 and one or whatever they won. But he cleared, I mean, one of those games was the Broncos game. And one of the losses was to Jalen Hurts in his first NFL start. So not very good there. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't understand how you can be a Saints fan and feel good about that. And I get like you're saying, it's not like I'm expecting them to have um, like the best answer in the world because it's tough to go from Hall of Fame quarterback to the next thing. But this doesn't even seem like a real plan to me. It's not even like, well, we have this guy here and, you know, if we squint, like maybe things can work out or there's like potential. <laughs> I, I don't see that. Like you, you already know what you have and it's not good enough. I would almost understand it more if they said, OK, Taysom, it's yours. We're going to give you the keys. This is your this is your show, because at least then you could argue, look, nobody knows Taysom Hill better than Sean Payton. He played a little. They seem like they could move the ball on offense effectively. Like I could at least understand that because we don't we haven't seen a ton of Taysom Hill and, and Peyton knows him better than anybody else. That sort of makes sense to me. But to restructure Taysom's deal the way they did, but then also be going after Jameis Winston and like I don't get that. You clearly don't believe in Taysom Hill if you're signing Jameis Winston. So I feel like you, you can't be a little bit pregnant, and that's what the Saints are trying to do. I feel like we hate on the Saints often here on the Oddcast. And that's okay. (laughs) I fully admit I'm biased against the Saints, but I haven't seen anybody saying, 
hey, this is a good move at quarterback. Like, who's the last team that had a quarterback competition in the beginning of the year that went on to do anything significant that season? Like, it doesn't, there's a reason it doesn't happen. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, because I make everything about the Eagles. Um, Michael Vick and Nick Foles were in a competition and they made it to the playoffs, but they didn't win a playoff game. Uh, nothing else standing out to me at the top of my head. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. And that's, that's where the Saints say. are right now. Uh, all right, Stats. I know you were excited to rip the Saints, but the one I might be most excited to rip here, also very sad because I had hoped for this team once upon a time when we were talking about them in the regular season. And I was saying, like, you know, the Eagles might be better than this team right now, but they do not have nearly the same amount of hope just in terms of assets and everything. And that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. But somehow the Jaguars have already managed to crush all hope that they should have before (laughs) the season has even begun, before they've even picked Trevor Lawrence officially. Because what are they doing, Stats? They hand out a deal to Rudy Ford on day one. Now I saw it was only 600K guaranteed, but like it's just so insane to me that the Jags had this plan where where they were like, you know what we need day one of legal tampering? Rudy Ford. That's the guy we got to have. And I look, I think – Putting an emphasis on special teams is fine. But this is a guy, again, who's missed 24 games in four years. He also has a bunch of dumb special teams penalties. So, like, I just don't get what this team is doing. I also want to throw Philip Dorsett in here, who I didn't even know was still in the league. Like, legitimately, Oof. I saw – yeah, I, I saw the, the Jags re-sign him, and I was like – or sign him, and I was like, he's still around? Like, really? <laughs> and I love the tweet that accompanied it. I'm not trying to crap on the reporter here, but – like, because I think this comes from an agent or whatever, but uh, – the the reporter tweeted out that, you know, the Jags agreed to terms with Philip Dorsett. And the the quote, like, after the signing part was, Urban Meyer wants speed and gets it. What are you talking about? Like, the, <laughs> like really? Like, oh, wow, they got a, a huge weapon in Philip Dorsett. Um, everything about the Jags, obviously, with, you know, the whole trainer uh, mishire and all no. that. Like, I, I just don't I, – I didn't like the Urban Meyer hire from to begin with. I kind of was like, all right, maybe I'll give it a chance. But everything I've seen so far, I just don't believe in this Jags team. Well, it's not just Urban Meyer, too. It's Trent Baalke, who, you know, as a Niner fan, I'm intimately familiar with because he used to be the general manager of the 49ers. I'll say this about Trent Baalke. What he does, what he is good at is building teams that are freaking tough as hell. Like, he's good at that. He did it with the Niners. I think the Jags are going to be tougher, but just because you're tough, doesn't mean you're good. And like Carlos Hyde, Philip Dorsett, you mentioned, they're not blowing me out of the water. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be a good coach. I just, I've never been on that train. I think it's totally different when you go from college to the NFL. And I am I agree with you. I don't love anything the Jags have done. They might get Trevor Lawrence, which is great, although I'm still not convinced that he's like, you know, the second coming of Andrew Luck. I'm not as high on Lawrence as everybody else. And I, I'm sorry to, to rain on your parade before it even begins, Jags fans, but I agree with you. I would put them in a loser column so far. And that's the thing. I want to believe in them. This is like I, I had I, – I wanted to go into this, you know, thinking they could have this offseason. They had all this cap space to work with. They still do. They have – I'm looking at over the cap right now stats, and I see like $65.7 It's like you have all this money, so you could be basically in on anyone that you want to be. Now, obviously, players have to want to play in Jacksonville too, but you have the money to outbid everyone, and I just don't love the names they're going after. Like these are the guys you can pick from anyone, and these are the guys you're getting. It's just – it feels weak to me, and with with Urban being there, 
And I know, you know, Balky's the GM, but there's a relationship there. And I'm sure Urban didn't come to Jacksonville without getting significant say in personnel. And to me, it looks like a team that's kind of being run by a head coach personnel wise, like a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. We got a little bit of breaking news, BLG. I know you put the Patriots in your losers column, but they are not done. They have struck again. This is according to Adam Schefter. And he says, quote, the Patriots are signing former Chargers tight end Hunter Henry to a three-year, $37.5 million deal, including $25 million guaranteed. That, of course, means the top two tight ends in free agency in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry are now in New England. What do you think about that? I think I hate it even more because 12 personnel is garbage. <laughs> I've had to deal with it, the Eagles here for too much. Now you can say you can blame the coaching or whatever and say that was more to blame. But I mean, the Eagles ran 12 personnel stats the most in both 2019 and uh, 2020. And I think it was like 50%, which is just an obnoxious usage rate in 2019. And then last year it was like 34% or something like you're not actually basing an offense out of 12 personnel and having success. This isn't Gronk Hernandez anymore. Like that's, that's not happening in today's NFL. It's about speeds, about wide receivers, about spacing things out. I, I don't like this either. I, I hate now. I, I, I hate it even more. I think the Patriots are even bigger losers than they were before. Wow. Bringing the hammer down on New England. It's funny. We actually talked to Tom Curran about, hey, why didn't they go Hunter Henry? And he said, well, they're basically the same player pretty much. Well, now you've got both of them if you're the New England Patriots. And yeah, I, I guess that's the plan. Try and go like the Gronk Aaron Hernandez type of offense that you had back in the day. But it was a long time ago, BLG. You're right. Maybe the league has moved on since then. But uh, New England, man, they are swinging for the fences big time. OK, can I move on to another loser on my list? Let's wrap it up. Last one. And like I said, this could change because it's only day one of free agency. But I got to put the Green Bay Packers on the list. Like, mm. what are you doing? What is it going to take for this team to sort of get off their ass and start making moves? You know, you sent me the list before we started the show of all the transactions that have happened. And you can go division by division. It's on NFL.com right now. And you go look at the Green Bay Packers. And the only thing that's on there is that, oh, they re-signed Aaron Jones. Like, really? That's your big move? You get to the NFC Championship game two straight years. You're on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. And what do you do? You re-sign a running back, which makes no sense to me, BLG, because they just spent a second-round pick on A.J. Dillon last year. Like, I do not get what is happening in Green Bay. And remember, after they lost, Aaron Rodgers had those comments that got everybody in a tizzy, right? Where he said, oh, I don't know about my future. Well, guess what, Aaron? Your mood's not about to improve much because apparently the Packers are doing nothing. I was thinking about having the Packers in my losers section because I was looking at the, you know, the Corey Lindsley thing and the Chargers getting him. And it's like, okay, well, you could have invested maybe in your offensive line instead of right. a running back. And I like Aaron Jones. Don't get me wrong. He should get paid somewhere. But uh, if you're picking between those two, you know, areas to invest in, I mean, stats, what is it that you say? You should only, your, your theory, you know, is you should only pay like quarterbacks and edge rushers. I think running backs would be the very low end of any kind of exception you would make. I just, I don't get it. Like, why are they? They're so close. They're so close. Now, again, this could change. If they sign Curtis Samuel, I think that would be awesome for them. That would be fantastic. Or even Kenny Galladay who, you know, would actually be able to catch a pass that's not contested for a change, which he seemingly never does. I don't know if he'd know how to react if he caught a ball in stride. But, like, 
they can make moves that would change my opinion. But right now, I just, when is there ever going to be any urgency with this franchise? And I don't know if it's because they don't have an owner, so there's no one person to come down and sort of, you know, make everybody's butt clench and get everybody in line. But there just never seems to be any urgency with these guys. And the years are just ticking away off Aaron Rodgers' career. If I were a Packer fan, I would be just infuriated again. I remember last offseason, it was like, all right, what are they going to do to help Rodgers? And they basically didn't do anything. <laughs> and they added, um, what's his name? The uh, the wide receiver used to be on the Colts. Uh, Michigan Funches. got Funches. Yeah, and then he opted out. <laughs> and so, like, and that that was it. That was, like the, that was their one big move. And now, again, it's early. We'll see what they do this offseason. But it's almost crazy that they had the success that they did last year. Again, when you even look at the draft and Jordan Love and then uh, A.J. Dillon, like, they they still had a lot of success in spite of all this front office, you know, uh, I don't want to say discord, but, you know, the, the front office really not setting them up to succeed. And they went out and, you know, did well anyway because of Rodgers. And it feels like if they're going to have success again, unfortunately for Aaron Rodgers, it's going to have to be because all of him and not really because he's getting a lot of help. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Brady threw three second half interceptions in the NFC championship game and the Packers offense didn't do anything with them. I'm just saying maybe an extra wide receiver would have helped a little bit with that. Like how many times do we have to see it? I just, okay, Green Bay. Like, again, I root for a team in the NFC. So feel free to keep, you do you. That's good. That's more good news for my Niners. So I will take it. It's been a crazy day, BLG. And it's only just starting because I'm sure there are going to be more signings today and and possibly some trades. And this offseason now, we are in like full offseason mode. I love it. I love all the news. Stay tuned to Twitter all day long. I'm sure we'll be locked in and we'll be tweeting our reactions as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. We love all your reviews. Please keep them coming. And BLG, I hope your Eagles actually do something because they are one of the few teams that literally have not made a single move since free agency started. Tough when you don't have cap space, but on the flip side, they can't make any horrible deals. They've not signed any. <laughs> Howie Roseman has made no mistakes in free agency this year to this point. Well, there you go. Hopefully things stay as positive for the Eagles. Enjoy it, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week.